This is Ever Present, an Eden Project podcast, equipping you to connect deeply with God, yourself, and others. Well, welcome to the Ever Present podcast. My name is Duke Rivard. I'm the president of the Eden Project. I'm joined by Todd Wormers and Phil Herndon uh, from Ten Man Ministries, and we're just excited to launch this new podcast. Uh, it's really an op- a conversation about a theology of emotion. And so we're going to take a look at what is emotion. Um, and really, if you get into that, you're talking about what is a human being and how, how's the interior life of a human being structured and what do we do with that interior life if we want to live in a deeply connected life. So the Eden Project is all about retraining people uh, to connect deeply with God, self, and others, and, and really getting after rebuilding that, the relational habitat we were made for in Eden. Uh, that's our mission as an organization. So this podcast is, is just going to take a really good look at emotion and, and, and the way that emotion contributes to that. Um, and even the title, Ever Present, just says, if I'm a stranger to myself, I'm not going to be able to be present with Phil. I can't be present with Todd. I can't be present with God, actually, to the degree that I would hope to be. Uh, and so we're really trying to take steps towards being present in all of our relationships and emotions our gift in doing that. So thank you guys for being here. Appreciate mm-hmm. you guys joining oh, us on the podcast. Yeah. Love it. So good cool. to be here. Glad good. to be here. Yeah, as we get started, um, maybe just give us a little bit of background on you, uh, your ministry, what it looks like. Uh, so we just have a little bit of context for you. Why don't we start with you, Phil? Yeah. Okay, Duke. Um, Tin Man really comes from the story of the Tin Man, Wizard of Oz, and the prequel of which is the Tin Man uh, was cursed. And part of his curse was he lost his humanness, turned into a thing, and then got frozen, he paid no attention to himself, what was going on. He wasn't present uh, with himself, wasn't ever present, and he got stuck, literally, in the, in the story. But, and what brought him back alive was his heart, getting his heart back. And so he put him right back into relationship. And so the, the ministry grew up under our friend Jeff Schulte, who's the CEO, Todd's the president of the organization, and we really exist to bring other 10 men and women into the fray to give heart back to where they can then become ever present as well. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Todd, tell us about you. Yeah, so I've been with 10 men for about four years and just started off as a coach and by God's grace have seen what he's been doing at the ministry and just through some other circumstances with Jeff and moving roles, uh, became the president a few months ago and uh, a senior pastor at a church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Um, but yeah, our, our real call by God, it's the discipleship. We are a discipleship ministry. That's the easiest way to explain it to Mm. people, but it's through the lens of helping men and women rediscover who they are so they can go do what God's called them to do. And that's all about our story work and the feelings that come within our story. So, okay. That's huge. Well, I'm a huge fan of 10 man. I've done at least a year with Jeff Schulte and other encounters with you guys. And just feel like you guys are, uh, absolute gift to the body of Christ mm-hmm. and are leading out in this idea of um, the emotional life we have in discipleship and how that plays in. And um, But let's talk a little bit about emotion. Um, how do you define emotion? I mean, you may, I, no doubt you guys get some pushback. You have people who think this is uh, not something that the church should yeah. be actively working on, perhaps. Um, yeah, what's what's your first operating definition of how emotion plays into the life of a, of a, of a human? Well, emotion really is the really the the, um, the relational life blood. Um, just think about a world where relationship was only based on facts or data. Uh, you know, we when we say words like love, passion, enjoyment, pleasure, 
uh, exhilaration, ecstasy, all those words, those are not data-centered words. Like feelings or emotion is, is the fuel toward relationship. It's the fuel toward conflict resolution. It's the fuel toward confronting one another. It's the fuel toward accountability. It's the fuel toward uh, uh, being accountable to one another relationally, like it, it, it is the fuel that fuel that is the connector of relationship. Any any two entities can do data. Chat GPT can do data, but when it comes to relational connection, that's where that word emotion becomes so operative and even even formative. Todd mentioned story. What we did with those things, even in our stories, so informs and and forms how we do relationship. Yeah, that's helpful, Phil. Yeah, what would you add to that, Todd, as you're articulating the, the centrality of emotion for people in discipleship? I just would add that it's the language of the heart, and the language of the heart is what gets us connected with ourselves. If we get connected with ourselves, we get connected to God. We get connected to ourselves and God. We're able to connect with other people, and you know, that's how God created us was to be in relationship with him, ourselves, and other people. So it is the language that God's given us to stay in relationship. Yeah, that's so huge. Yeah, sometimes I reflect on like really great art. If you look at the classics mm-hmm. or the movies that we rewatch, um, they're often deeply emotive. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't just rewatch the, the the lecture that gives them some data necessarily if they've learned it. Uh, but but seeing a movie that touched something deeply human, it's like, oh yeah, that resonates, and yes. I want to come back to that because it's something true about what it's like mm-hmm. to be a human in the world. And so yeah, it's very very universal. Um, what are some of the bad ideas that you guys have encountered around emotion? I know uh, there's even mantras we hear uh, in the church sometimes uh, that have been spoken and, and, and shared and passed down that have shaped people's functional theology of emotion. Maybe spend a little bit of time. Let's talk about some of the bad ideas mm-hmm. that maybe pass around in the church about what we do with emotion. How, how long do you say we had, Duke? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, sadly, that's true, not in every church circle, but in so many um, you know, the message is one of the main main ones is that, honestly, like feelings are bad. Don't do feelings. Don't feel feelings. Words like you can't trust them, faith over feelings. Those kinds of things come up a lot. And it's really unfortunate that you look at the life of Jesus and you look at, at God himself throughout Genesis to to Revelation. And, and we've talked several times about, you know, when 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 we when human beings were not lamenting or suffering and using the language of suffering, uh Scripturally, that's Genesis 1 and 2, and then when we're not going to do that again is Revelation 21, basically. And so all those chapters and verses and passages in between point to this world that's really hard. It's a struggle. And so if when we say things like you can't trust emotion, faith over fear, those kinds of things, we lose the pathos and we lose the even the passion of Christ as we literally call it. Yeah. And passion means pain. Sure. So we, we look over things like that and, and so many different interchanges between these human beings uh, in the pages of Scripture that we don't – we can miss that, no, without fear, I, I don't have – I don't need faith, mm-hmm. for instance. And so it's not that I'm trusting only feelings. It means feelings are so much a part of how God has made us. Genesis 2 said he breathed his identity into us. And we go through the page of Scripture, and we're going to cover this at some point too, but go through the page of Scripture, God is an intensely feeling God. Yeah. And we have his identity in us, breathed into us by himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the first discipleship experiences I remember around emotion um, was the train illustration. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, faith, uh, facts, uh, feelings were the caboose. So it was was an actual train. And and what I took from the caboose was, hey, feelings are real. We're not going to deny that 
the humans feel things. We're just going to say they're at the very, very back of priority. So don't really pay much attention to them. Uh, really put your faith in the facts. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the facts, and we're going to keep believing the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've gone along, I've realized, wow, that is really different than what David's doing in the Psalms. Wow. Uh, it's pretty different than what's happening with Jesus in mm-hmm. Gethsemane and other places. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, what about you, Todd? What are some of the bad ideas that you've encountered uh, in the church or in theology around how we deal with emotion? I think either they're good or bad. Like It's like one or the other. You can't have—they can't coexist. So— you know, trying to just help people understand, no, emotion's what's true about us. Now, how we live out that, we can live in the sin, uh, and we'll talk more about that, like uh, the dysfunction of our emotions, or how God's given us emotions to live functionally. And so I think that's one of the hardest ones for me when I'm with people is to help them see, no, you know, anger's not bad, um, and what we do with our anger can be very beneficial. And so I think, you know, Phil just mentioned fear, like, you know, perfect love cast out all fear. It's like, oh, that's not what the text is saying. So I think people have taken words, feeling words, they've taken it out of context of Scripture to make it fit what they need it to fit. And so just really that's been the hardest part for me, at least, walking and working with people in their story of, like, they're trying to get away from feelings, and I'm trying to get them into their feelings so they can get healing from where they're at. So that, that's been the, the, the biggest struggle for, for me, at least. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, when, you, when you talk about um, emotions, what, talk me, walk me through a, a person you've coached or maybe a series of people you've coached. What's the benefit? So someone may be sitting here listening going, hey, is it really worth engaging with being more aware of what's going on in my chest, getting my heart back? If I did get my heart back, uh, what what would my life look like? How would it be different? Mm-hmm. Maybe walk us through how you see folks that have engaged with you moving into something new as a result of engaging with emotional life. Well, I think for me, I'll just use my own story. You know, uh, 15 years ago, I walked into treatment having a ton of feelings, but having no idea how to sort through those feelings and having wanted to run from those feelings. And for me, really was the place of loneliness and shame. And I just could not sit with the loneliness. Now, it comes out of my story of being abandoned. And I remember sitting on an airplane. I, I said, whatever I have to do not to feel this again. Now, you know, I was 15. I didn't know what this was. but And I did a very good job of not feeling this, which was shame and loneliness ever again. And I medicated through a ton of things. Pornography is one of those things. And work addiction was one of the things. And performance and I got sitting in front of Phil uh, and just began to share my, the content of my story because mm-hmm. um, I knew my story. I just had never felt my story because I was unwilling to feel my story. And then when I began to feel my story and connecting data, the facts, to what was going on, uh, God used that in a huge way to bring healing so that I would be able to identify what I was feeling and not have to medicate what I was feeling but be able to sit in what I was feeling to uh, just really discover Hey, loneliness is a gift from God. Shame, the feeling of shame is a gift from God. It allows me to know I'm, I'm human. Loneliness means I really have a desire for intimate connection with people. And um, so that's been the challenge uh, walking with people. It's like, hey, let's get you to see your story, not just the content of your story, but the emotional underpinning of your story so that you can have connection to you uh, so that you can bring those. And that's what David's doing in the Psalms. David has a real connection of his own story, his own feelings in his story. He's bringing himself fully, 
fully to God. So not just his brain to God, but he's bringing his heart to God. That's good. And what's the before and after, just for you, as you engage that process? How would you say your life is different because you walked into telling the truth about what it was like in the interior life? I'll, I'll use uh, Phil's word. So Phil told me day one, he said, Todd, I hope when you leave here, you'll feel better. And I was like, man, I hope I feel better too, because I feel <laughs> really bad right now. I do not like what I'm feeling. And I left treatment feeling better. Now I felt better. I felt more hurt. I felt more loneliness. I felt more sadness. I felt more gladness. I just, there was a part of me that really get, wrapped my brain around what I believe Jesus was saying in John 10, 10. You're going to have life and life to the full. And uh, today I live a full life, but it's not vacated of feelings. It's full of feelings. Okay. So. As you're saying that, I'm always thinking of like a really muted black and white going to HD or mm-hmm. something like that. You're saying, hey, I just woke up to what was going on, and now I'm living into the, the peaks and the mm-hmm. valleys of the real life of what's happening in my pure life. And then I know you well enough to know you're able to now take that into relationships and have a lot more with others mm-hmm. as a result. Is that yeah, I, I tell people all the time, I walked into treatment seeing life through, I have terrible eyesight. So uh, I walked into treatment seeing the world 2D and walked out of treatment seeing the world in 3D. And I was like, man. And I remember as a middle school kid getting contacts for the first time, I could see a tree. I just, I literally could not see the leaf on a tree. And I remember walking out of the uh, the eye doctor and being like, oh, there's actually, I can actually see the leaves. And I felt that way when I left treatment. Um, so just seeing the world in a completely different way. But I wasn't seeing it through my eyes. I was seeing it through my heart. Yeah, I love that. I even share a little personal story after doing a year. Actually, it's probably about five months with Jeff Schulte doing what y'all do at 10 Man and really getting super present. We'll talk about some of the, the progression for the audience, but really just seeing my life, feeling the feelings I have about my life, and then telling the truth about them to an empathetic listener who doesn't leave. Uh, we know, I'll know with neuroscience that does a whole lot for us mm-hmm. when we do that. After doing that weekly, for probably four to five months, um, I started experiencing some things internally that I could never explain to another person who's never lived inside my body my whole life. Uh, but the, one of the, the most noticeable ones was I preached for the first time, and I wasn't regularly preaching in a church, but I, I was serving a family of churches, and I was invited to speak at one of our churches. And I got up to preach, and every time I had preached in the past, I was very codependent. I was watching them watch me, watch them watch me, watch them watch me. And just super aware of needing everybody to be okay with me all the time, and that was training me out. And I didn't really know it, but after telling the truth about myself over and over and over, what happened was it was like a video game. It went from third-person shooter where I was always watching myself, watch them, watch me, watch them, to I just saw them. And I, I, I disappeared. And uh, after, I, after I preached, I forgot about the sermon. I used to replay the tape 50 times mm. afterwards, which also drained me out. <laughs> um, and so I had so much more energy that it almost felt like I had a jetpack on. Like I had, I was giving back so much more energy mm-hmm. when I was not uh, so preoccupied uh, with what other people were, were thinking about me. But it came through the path of telling the truth, really locating myself and telling my truth you know, to, to Jeff Schulte over and over and over. And so I have a lot of healthy anger, which we'll define in a little while, for other people to experience that because I'm like, if you guys knew the, the difference, the before and after of your interior life, mm. when you learn to do what you guys know how to train mm-hmm. people to do, like you would quickly sign up for that because um, it's, it's really just a human being fully mm-hmm. alive. It's a human being as we're designed. Uh, and finally discovering that is, is so, so critical. Um, yeah, m- maybe, uh, Phil, let's hear from you just in terms of as you watch the before and after. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for other clients. Mm-hmm. What's, 
why should somebody take the effort to start to say, hey, I've not really paid attention to emotion, but y'all are encouraging me to consider it. Uh, what's the payoff? Well, I'm, I'm 32 years walking with people like that, 36 years as a recovering guy. And uh, I know very similar to, the, to some of the wording Todd's using about the clarity of my own life, first and foremost. Uh, before some guys came into my life that loved me enough to tell me the truth, and, and then walking with others in that way, what I have experienced internally walking with them is even how the language, Duke, changes from just data, just facts, what do I do next, to-do list, check off the boxes, do this, do that. It's turned into words like connection, attachment, vulnerability, invitation, confession, and, and words that speak to when we are in our human, gospel-centered, we'll call that humanness, how, how we're truly made. Those are the words that come up in relationship. I want to be connected with you. I want to invite you into more. And that more or their deeper walk is this this world we call emotion. Uh, we call feelings. And so even as I – one of the it, – it's uh, tragically funny, but when I was intervened on uh, early in my life, um, the guys intervened on me. I was an absolute mess, and physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and they intervened on me in just a dank little trailer house in Oklahoma. And and when I told them, I said, "No, nah, I think I'm doing really well." <laughs> they they laughed literally, like you just did, <laughs> you know. And that was the breaking point. I went, oh, that may have sounded crazy, like. Because they looked at the data and had feelings about the data, where I was living literally, and their response was, you've got to be kidding me. And that led into a conversation with these two guys around how lonely I was, how sad I was. I don't know if those are the words I used, but that was the heart that was being revealed in me, how so long I had been and all those feelings and not knowing what they were. And we're doing all I could do to medicate them. Mm -hmm. And so in my own life and in walking with guys like Todd and others – uh, through life, I've watched what happened to me in my 20s, morbidly obese and addicted several different ways to these guys. And what happened is exactly what Todd described. It's like I moved from those words of keeping myself protected by using data or facts or slogans or whatever into this very tender, invitational, confessional language called feelings to say, this is where I really am and here's my heart and I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I'm willing willing to deal with the feelings of what the answer to that is as okay. we go along. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Phil. Um, maybe just as we sort of wrap up this intro podcast, uh, maybe walk us through the progression. Uh, what does someone have to do? Let's say someone says, hey, I, I'm not emotionally intelligent. I do not know what's going on, uh, but I hear what you're saying, and I'm curious to take a step, or what would the path look like for me? If I was going to move into the, the life that y'all have experienced and the ways in which y'all coach people into waking up to their heart and living fully connected. What you just said is exhibit A of the f literal first step. I want to do this or how I'm living. I know there's more like words like more desire, yearning, hope, reaching, those kinds of things. And I know it sounds simple, but I, to literally kind of coattail off of you to say that that truly is the first step to, to start asking questions about what is going on, what what is not happening in me that I wish were happening, and can you do this with me mm. to whatever level? And that sounds so simple and is so profound. It's what mine and Todd's first conversation when we first saw each other within 10 seconds what really was about. Can you help me? 
Yes, I can. Yes, I will. I know where you are. So I was there not long ago myself. Okay. Yeah. And so if someone has that healthy anger, that desire, Todd, what does that progression look like for them to start living connected? How do you walk them through that? I think it's just helping them put, you know, I think content, content, when I just give content, it's an really an outward protection of my inside. So you just got to get them from content to emotions. And the way to do that is just you have to have someone that's with you with a ton of curiosity. And that, that's what it was like sitting with Bill. I mean, he was very, very curious and caring about my story, which without having to use my story for him, um, and I told him this all the time, like he was the first man in my life that was curious enough about me when I wasn't curious enough about me. Mm. And so that was really the, the, and that was the challenging part. Um, cause I wanted to protect my story with content and just being with him, caring about me and for me, he asked me some really, really caring, curious questions that gave me a deep dive into like, Oh, and I did not realize, uh, there's parts of my story that had been all content for me mm. and just watching his face and listening to him, pushing me to some places gently and kindly. I think that's the first place. I think it is finding a trusted person um, that's um, far enough in their own story and the healing in their own story. Um, they don't have to be a clinician by any means. It's just like a caring, loving person. So yeah, that, that, that's the place of starting. But I think a place of admission, um, my, my life is not working. Okay. <laughs> that was the first, that's where I had to get to. Like, I looked around, I'm like, man, my life is not working. At all. I was, like, I was a youth pastor, college pastor, teaching pastor, and yet life on the outside was working, yeah. but life on the inside was not working. And so I had to admit to myself, gosh, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. So, I'm hearing both. Like you admitted it to yourself and then you admitted it mm-hmm. to Phil. So there's a relationality to it. So it's not even just a cerebral thing mm-hmm. that you do internally by yourself. You're doing it in a trusted place, mm-hmm. in a relational space. Uh, from a, I'm hearing awareness, uh, admission, this isn't working. Sounds like telling somebody about it. Um, you guys often, I mean, isn't the technical term attunement, like that idea of telling mm-hmm. the truth to, to someone else who's safe, right? You shouldn't right. tell it to everybody. There's probably people you shouldn't talk to about <laughs> it. But you find a Phil or someone you trust and you tell the truth about it, yeah. right? What, what happens uh, even physiologically or neurologically when I come and tell the truth to Phil uh, about a life that's not working, about what I'm experiencing in my interior life, my emotions. Uh, what's going on in, in me when I do that? The fir- first and foremost, we're getting back to how God made us in the beginning uh, to have vulnerability, to be in relationship. And, you know, it, it, we've heard it a million times if you're in the church world. And, and it's true. Genesis 3-9, where are you? And when someone looked at me, and I looked at Todd, and Todd's looked at many, many, many since then, and so have I. Yeah, really asking that question, hey, just tell me where you are, what emotionally, relationally, what is your story? And then that, that kind of builds into not just the data of the story, but the feelings underneath the story that brings us back to the very, very nexus of the gospel. I've got this very highly relational God, and the theologians you know, talk words like pre-creation, Trinitarianism, and all that kind of stuff that says that, hey, God is love. Mm-hmm. Period. The Eden Project exists because the, how true that is. Yep. Like God is love, and that's the motif for, through Scripture. And like so, so, so God being love and everything emanating from that. Uh, if that is the foundation and the basis, a word that is so big, 
and cannot be relegated to sheer data. And as, as we talk about with Eden Project, we've been talking every conversation we have, like knowledge of God, yes, and knowledge of self. And these feelings are the, not the, the foundation of the knowledge of self to be able to begin to take in this knowledge of God who, who defines himself as love. And has been in relationship since eternity past, made us in his, his image. Yes. So we're saying, hey, we're inherently relational. So we've got to figure out what does that mean to be inherently relational. Mm-hmm. And I think we're saying as the theology of emotion that emotions are a critical part of any meaningful and deep relationship. Yes. Like try to do deep relationship with your spouse and say, but you cannot share any emotional information. <laughs> right. Okay, like you're saying, you can do Wikipedia, uh-huh. you can do facts, where were you born, how much do you weigh, whatever. I uh, would advise that one actually usually. Uh, but, yeah, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> uh, but but the re- the emotional information that's shared, we kind of know that sometimes even in our marriages to go, if we're married, oh, that's kind of why we have so much with our spouse is because that might be the one person I really actually have emotional conversation mm-hmm. with. And so you can kind of see, okay, I'm attaching to that person, but maybe uh, I don't have anybody else or I, I don't feel like there's anybody else. And and so we're, we're saying, hey, you're going to need some other trusted others. Uh, you're going to need some, some friends, some fellowship. First um, John 1 says that, right? That if I confess um, the truth about me, agree with God about it, I have fellowship with, with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a critical component mm-hmm. that I think we have to see. Um, yeah, anything else on, as, as we just kind of wrap up uh, this episode on emotion, anything that you think from a summary standpoint is helpful for people to just understand about what we're saying about the, the centrality of emotions in a, in a human relational experience? I think John Calvin says it best. He said, without a knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And he said, without a knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you, these two cannot be separated. I think so many times we want knowledge of God, but we don't really, we're not able to bring ourselves to God. So we don't really know God, which means that we don't really know ourselves. And so I think for me, that journey has been just like, man, the more I know myself, the more I know God, and the more I know God, the more I know myself. And um, I know we'll get into it later, but reading the Psalms has been so refreshing in that that light of like, mm-hmm. oh man, like watching the knowledge of myself when I bring it way before God, He shows up in ways I'd never thought He'd show up. So. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about you, Phil? Yeah, you know, Duke, I look at the totality of Scripture, but certainly the New Testament and the Gospels in particular. Like once I begin to even have the framework that God is love, and that foundation is so huge and so beyond information. And when I read those Gospels and I look at Jesus walking across the terrain of the world literally and emotionally and relationally, it's like, how in the world did I ever—and I did—how did I ever relegate God in human flesh, taking on human limitation, remaining fully God and doing the things he did relationally, even just in the struggle that he had on earth. How could I ever read those Gospels in a way that just relegated all of what we do to data points? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do these terrible feelings. So the one takeaway for me would be read the Gospels, the life of Christ on earth, and then take away from, from those narratives and from what's even how he's even described to say, okay, man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not data. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a data point, but underneath all of that, read the Gospels just with that particular frame just there. Yep. A rich that. young ruler and blind people and lame people, just look at how acquainted with grief he was, just that one simple feeling called sadness. So yeah. for me, the takeaway, the basic takeaway is the centrality of, of God in human flesh. Yep. 
in the Gospels being this intensely relational and feeling man yeah. who walked am- among other men and women. I love that. One of the, you know, there's a lot of different uh, hermeneutical keys that we could apply to the Scripture. Um, but I've actually come to see what you're, what you're saying, Phil, that one of the ways we need to balance out the left brain, overly cognitive faith that many of us have inherited is to actually do an emotional hermeneutic of the Scripture. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So you're just trying to see what is Jesus feeling. Yes. I mean, and that's a fair question. He's, he's fully human. Yes. Human's uh, emotion is a part of uh, a really honest anthropology. So what is he feeling mm-hmm. when he crests the hill and he looks at Jerusalem and he, and he weeps over a city that he longed like a hen to gather to himself but yeah. does not want him? I mean, like, What is he feeling in Gethsemane? Mm-hmm. What's he feeling when he looks at Peter in that moment um, that Peter has just denied him? Is it hurt? I mean, we... I'm, I'm not. I mean, there's there's interpretive work to do to find out what what is he feeling. But uh, certainly, if he's fully human, he is he's experiencing emotion, mm-hmm. and we can see the way that he is engaging uh, in relationship. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, it I think it brings the scriptures to life in a whole new way. In the same way that good art, because it's emotive in nature, is universal yes. and very relatable, and it resonates. Uh, the scriptures begin to resonate. Um, you mentioned the Psalms. I mean, it's so obvious that. The prayer book of the church mm-hmm. is highly emotive, mm-hmm. and if we'll engage it in an emotive way, we're going to have more with God. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the heart of, of this podcast. I want to thank you guys for, for being here. Uh, the Ever-Present Podcast, just to summarize, we're, we're working on a theology of emotion because we believe that it matters if we're going to have connection with God, self, and others. So uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we're going to continue on in this series, and we'll, we'll actually spend some time on next question, does God have emotion? So tune into the next episode. It'll be an important conversation about uh, the nature of God and and his relationality. What does it mean that he does relationship uh, with us and and even within the Trinity? So I thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Ever-Present Podcast. If this resource has been helpful to you, we would ask that you share it with your friends. Leave a comment on the podcast platform and help get this resource into the hands of other people. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at podcast at edenteam.org. And now as you go throughout the rest of your day, just remember that God's posture toward you is strong, persistent, and positive. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.